Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Amen. Another attempt to capture the extraordinary truth of what it is we are celebrating today, you will have to admit over and over and over and over and over again in your life that it is difficult to reconcile yourself to the truth that we are here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an astounding truth. Um, We're certainly glad to have you at Hillcrest, as Tim uh, already said. Uh, We want to be a welcoming community. We recognize that we have lots of guests and family and friends and neighbors here today. So if I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Christian Lindbeck, and you're joining us uh, what is undoubtedly the pinnacle of the Christian calendar, like all of our focus and attention uh, as followers of Christ really leads up uh, to Easter and to Christmas, the fact that he was born, the fact that he died, and the fact that he was resurrected. This is our loudest declaration, and like I said, we're glad to be able to celebrate it with people. Today is a celebration. Um, Church is often a lot of mix of emotions, but today is all celebration. Uh, Today we look, commemorate, and stand in awe of what Jesus did for all of us and did for his creation. This unites us to literally billions of Christians all around the world. Um, Literally, you know there's more than tens of thousands of brand new Christians every day? There's more than 10,000 Christians a day in China alone, brand new. This growing chorus, this song, uh, united with those all around the world celebrating this central capital T truth of our faith that Jesus Christ is the Lord of creation, the creator as well. That Lord of creation was born, this is already extraordinary, (laughs) lived a perfectly obedient life as part of his answer and part of his model, part of his sacrifice. He died, although he was perfectly innocent. He died a condemned criminal on a cross, the worst imagined way to kill somebody of the time. He was three days later resurrected from the dead. And now he reigns as God in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit and will come again to finish his work on earth. And I just want to say, as soon as I say those things, we have to admit that is an incredible set of facts. Uh, Even difficult to reconcile. I think that if we could really, you know, if we were really not just digesting these facts like a grocery list, but more like actual facts, it'd be hard for us to stay in our seats. Uh, This is an extraordinary set of truths that when reconciled against life changes everything. What we think about, what we prioritize, where we go, our lives are fundamentally based on this extraordinary set of truths. And I think it's okay to say that they are astounding, awe-inspiring, difficult to wrap uh, one's mind around, but possible. And I think this morning that for some people gathered here, maybe even some who call themselves Christians, but certainly for some who are guests or visitors, the set of truths that I just read may strain believability for you. They seem too fantastically true uh, to be real. God exists, and God was born, and Jesus was God, and was actually on a cross, actually died and resurrected. These seem like too 
impossible, too wonderful, too astounding set of facts. Uh, and this morning, what I want you to do, what I'm asking all of us to do, and even those longtime Christians, is just take a breath. You won't die being open. And be open to listening and asking yourself, why? Why for me does this strain believability? Why does it strain response from me? Why does it sometimes strain my ongoing allegiance? Um, What is it about the nature of this truth that makes it difficult for me to believe? Because I want to suggest to you today that if you will stop and consider that anything at all exists or that anything at all exists, is true, and if you'll really consider it, you will find that to strain belief. If we could pause and talk about why atoms adhere and make physical matter, or why your body stays together as a group of molecules and atoms and moves through space through a soup of molecules and atoms and maintains consciousness through that, all that's already impossible. Uh, What if we were to consider the nature of life or consciousness or the uniqueness of the earth, or the immensity of the universe, if we considered humans and death and burial and babies and souls and morality, all these things, when truly considered, would absolutely, fundamentally, unquestionably, irrevocably strain belief. Because they are too big. They are overly, easily overwhelm the neat little boxes in which we usually live our life. You know, all the little pride we got, well, you got to get up and you got to make food. First, you got to buy food. Then you got to make food. Then you got to clean up food. Then you got to go somewhere to make money so that you can buy more food so that you can make it and clean it up. And then you got to get kids somewhere. Then you got to get back. And then you got to make some more food. And then you got to put that away. And then you got to get kids to bed. Then you got to go to bed. And the next day, you got to get up. That's the sort of bite size observable boxes that we live our life in. And inside that little bite size, you can comprehend that. But if you will pause to comprehend what actually exists, you will find it easily overwhelming. Any appreciation for the actual scale and scope of things, even just the business end of a good telescope, will leave an observant person reeling. If you stare into outer space and find out what an inconsequential speck of dust you are, it will leave you Reeling. It turns out that the reality of reality itself is an overwhelming notion. Any consideration of anything being true is astounding. So today I'm just hoping that this perhaps, I'm throwing it out there as an opportunity that we will listen, really listen. And I would suggest that maybe even the reality of what Jesus accomplished and who he is, as as astounding as it is, as astounding as anything is, will permeate our hearts and our minds again, or maybe even for the first time. Because the truth, and I want to say capital T truth again, the truth is all of this exists You, me, space, breath, air, beetles, giraffes, stars, galaxies, this podium, carpet, teeth, all of it uh, exists because a vast, comprehensive, understanding creator God made all of it from nothing and holds it seamlessly and easily in the palm of his hand, understanding every particle of it. And he made it all in love, knowing that he wasn't just going to make more of himself. 
You see, God's already a plurality. I won't get distracted here, but we're already talking about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He already had uh, plurality and unity in the Godhead. He didn't need to make more of himself. So he knew he was going to make a creation, something less than perfect, which would be more than him. So he knew he had to make it with the fatal flaw of having the potential to break, having the potential to be broken, having the potential to fall. And so making it that way, he planned before the first spark of light in creation to be the answer for the problem himself. Before he created, he said, I already decided, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit met and said, the second will go and be born into human flesh. What a crazy idea. He'll be born Jesus Christ of Nazareth, live 33 years in perfect obedience. Although innocent, he will march himself to the cross to bridge the chasm between creator and created, between perfection and imperfection, between unbroken and brokenness. To himself, show the way, become the way, provide the way, be the way. And as a summation to our series in Mark, to prove unequivocally and for all time that he is stronger than our greatest enemies, stronger than death, stronger than hell, stronger than sin, stronger than the grave. And this is the incredible set of truths that we celebrate today. This, and again, I, I want you to hear me say, no more unbelievable than the fact that we are all in this room, uh, you know, breathing in and out, transferring oxygen and carbon dioxide without a thought, or that we're thinking, or that you are hearing my words and those are being transitioned into thoughts. You understand them, process them, and own them, or that you have a spirit or soul. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Be open to the idea that things are greater than your ability to put them in a box. And that if it is greater than your ability to put it in the box, there may be things outside the box that will surprise you, that are truth that you were made for. And it is our primary place to worship this truth. If we do nothing else with our life, it doesn't matter where we work, how successful we are, where we're from, our life can be worship. It's, it's the primary thing we're made for. In fact, it could be argued that all of creation is made like a piece of art, and the art reflects the artist, right? The art rebounds or reflects or shows glory to the artist. We're all made so that people go, wow, God, what have you made? Look at, I mean, just, I'm going to get so sidetracked today, but just look, I'm thinking about moving my fingers and they're moving. If you thought about what it takes for that to happen, it is absurd, and here it is. It just exists. It is, it is worship to even consider it. And we, if all creation is made to worship, we as the pinnacle of creation are made, most made to worship. Our life, our expression, our words, our life is meant to be an alignment of worship to the Creator. And today, Easter is the church's great unified opportunity to declare that is true. Now, um, usually... For Easter, this would be, I would launch now, this would be a really good spot for like uh, the theological centrality of the resurrection to Christian beliefs, which is more interesting than I just made it sound. Uh, Or the historically verifiable, provable truth of the resurrection. And I I can appoint you to many such sermons. Uh, I've preached many myself, but today I want to do something a little different. Um, Today, what I'm hoping to do is take a journey 
through who Jesus is and what he accomplished from creation to salvation. Since he is timeless, he is Jesus of Nazareth born in space, but he himself is timeless. He was involved creation through salvation. And what I want to do is I want to use a new song to help me teach this idea this morning. Um, how many of you have heard this song? Uh, it's called, by Hillsong called So Will I. Few of you, I got a whoop. There, there we go. So, great worship song. First time I heard it, I found myself transfixed uh, by this song. I'm just going to admit to you, I hear a lot of worship songs, uh, and so I was just curious why did this one impact me so much when I heard it? I listened to it like over and over and over the first few times, and I think it is because um, it unpacks the sweep of creation. It declares who Jesus is, kind of at every step of creating. It declares the response of the created, uh, and it declares how good the creator is, and it ends with this appropriate reply. Given that all of this is true, the appropriate reply across a whole spectrum of questions is, so will I. If that is true, so will I. If that's a fact, so will I. If that's really what's really happening, then so will I. So this morning, I'm going to walk through this song verse by verse, unpack a little bit about each piece, and then Carlo and the team are going to lead us in singing the song. And as we sing it, I just, I'm begging you, let the song, let it soak into your heart and into your bones. If nothing else, we walk out of here this morning saturated with the good news that Jesus Christ has come to redeem his creation. Now, uh, some of you might be thinking, oh, you're going to preach a song verse by verse, can you do that? <laughs> like, right? Can he do that? Shouldn't he be preaching from the Bible this morning? Uh, so I just wanted to assure you, song is tool, Bible is source. Uh, and a sermon's kind of that way, right? I don't just come up here and read the whole Bible to you, although some of my sermons might be markedly improved. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I take what's here and do it in a new way. And a song does, that's all a song is. I can assure you that each Word and verse and chorus of this song is only a declaration of what's already in here. But what I like about it is a song does something different inside of this. When you read or say a word, it uses one part of your brain where you analyze words. But when you sing a song, many of you maybe know this, it fires up almost every other part of your brain, deep emotional parts of your brain, right and left brain, prefrontal cortex gets engaged, your whole brain lights up and it's a full body response when you sing a song. Biochemical response, emotional response, spirit response, mental response. You might argue we are made to worship. We are designed to sing worship together. Uh, And so today I'm going to teach it, you can think about it, and then just think as you sing it, just opening up the other parts of your brain as an expression of it. If creation was made to worship, so will we. If we were made to worship, so will I. Um, Here's how the song begins. Let me just pick it up in verse 1. It says, God of creation, there at the start. Now, I'm going to try not to interrupt too many times, but I want to make it clear when it says God here, we're already referring to God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit. It's already appropriate at this point to say we're talking about Jesus. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. Um, This all comes from the first few words of the Bible in Genesis. 
which read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now it raises the question, it says, but God said, is it appropriate to say this of Jesus? And without going too far, I just want to say the answer in the Bible is, yes, these are words sung and spoken of Jesus of Nazareth, who was born, you know, uh, thousands of years later, but also is the eternal person of God. Uh, Let me read just a couple of passages. Colossians, it's called the Great Colossian Hymn. Uh, Chapter 1, I'm going to pick it up in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says... Jesus is the son of the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It's full of all these juxtapositions. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Uh, Let me turn to Proverbs chapter 8, which begins with an embodiment of wisdom, but then switches uh, to the voice of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 27. It says, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Here we have Jesus as creator, redeemer, the one who saves and the one who intended to save. And as we bring it around to the end of the song, the point of his pre-planned creation to save is just the seminal, it's the most important piece of understanding how he goes about his salvation. Creator, co-creator, redeemer. Still speaking of Jesus as God, chorus one then goes, as you speak, that is God the Godhead, A hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. I I got caught up in a conversation with somebody because of something I said in the first service, but I want to say to you again, literally the more they study creation, the more they are finding that created things are actually, especially if you're a string theory follower, created things are actually a vibration. Like uh, they are sound creating matter. And so there's a great theological, scientific basis for, in his words, do planets form. So if the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made, every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. And that's what the song's trying to make you do, which the word of God is begging you to do. It's begging you to cry out to notice how vast, how large, how magnificent, how grand, how unnecessarily large the created order is. If you will consider the size of the universe, I don't know if you've ever studied that, but it is absurd. It it borders on the ridiculous. It is so gigantic in scale and scope. By the way, it turns out there's that much space inside us as well. Things get as small as they get large. 
any of those things are meant to astound and meant to raise the question, why such scale? Why such display? Why such diversity and uniformity against such a great spectrum of space if nothing more than a display of who he is? Isn't it fun that the first thing we get to say about God is, you are vast beyond my comprehension. You do not fit in any of my containers. I can't put you in a box of understanding you. Even a small comprehension of what is blows out the understanding that I know precisely who God is. We can say we know enough to claim him and then just be otherwise astounded at everything else. The first declaration is, God, how vast you are. If creation's response to your vastness is worship, then so will I. Verse 2 carries on, you are the God of your promise. You don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. The Bible says, no word of God returns empty. Let me say it simply. All words of God work. They do something. And their first work was to make everything, including the seat you are sitting on, is all made from material that was created at the first moment of creation. And so our God, it's funny to me, I'm often given this like, well, you choose faith, I choose science. I think that's funny. My God made science. Uh, like anything exists because he made it. Oh, guess where the, like, uh, the discipline of science flowed from? Christians who believed they could trust in the creator and the things they saw around them and invented science, you're welcome. In fact, it turns out the more I study science, the more I appreciate God. The more I appreciate God, the more I am free to unpack the empirical method of science. You will not discover something in creation that overwhelms God. He's the one that made it. Uh, it, we are meant to see that science unpacks who he is. I think it's hard to be a reasonable God skeptic. And if you are one, if you and I were having lunch, I would say, I get being a Jesus skeptic. But God, that's tough. If you're a scientist, if you are looking in a telescope or a microscope, you must see how wonderful, how extraordinary, how irreducibly complex the creation is. You must go, it's too wonderful to just be an accident. Okay, I, I'm not ready to talk about Jesus, but something, clearly something is larger than I. And the response is to say, I won't run from you, Lord. Creation was made to see you, so will I. Chorus 2 picks up, as you speak then, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, unfolding in pursuit of what you said. If all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say, every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. We are meant to be in alignment with the Creator. Have you noticed that most of the creation is going on in obedience without us? Yeah, flowers bloom, bees buzz. Have you noticed this? Grass grows, plants grow and bind carbon in photosynthesis with the sun. Uh, making carbon bonds that ruminants eat, and then animals eat ruminants, and then we eat those animals, and we break it back down into soil, and then plants go back to the work of binding it back together again. Uh, water, uh, you know, it rains, it evaporates, it flows, it rains again. It's constantly cycling itself, cleaning, moving, feeding, providing for us in a vast hydrological cycle that we did not design, and it just keeps going on every day. Have you seen this? In fact, most of creation doesn't work well when we break it. 
When we interfere, when we disobey, when we get in, we break. But the point is, all of creation is meant to live in joyful alignment with the Creator. You know when bees are most happy? When they do bee work. Let's say a bee got up tomorrow and said, I'm going to be a bunny instead. It will die. That's the end of bee life. But we do this all the time. I meant to be, I don't want to do what God told me. But you'll die out there. Well, fine, I'm on my own thing, right? That's the, I just want you to say that, that we are not under a religious obligation to be aligned with God. It's our great privilege. We are made as our gifted purpose and place. If we're made to worship aligned with the plans of God, if creation gets this, beavers and giraffes can get it, maybe we can get it. If creation still obeys you, Lord, so will I. The bridge of the song builds up then to declare, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. If everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll just sing it again a hundred billion times. Luke 19 says that as Jesus was entering Jerusalem on the way to the cross, he's riding down the hill from the Mount of Olives, and it says that a whole crowd of his disciples begin to sing joyfully in a loud voice, crying out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, peace in heaven and glory in the highest Now, some of the Pharisees were gathered, looked at Jesus and said, hey, stop, make your disciples stop singing that song. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, if I tell them to be quiet, then the rocks will just cry out because creation is made to declare this truth about me. John 21 says that Jesus did many things. recorded one. Happy Easter to all of you out there. Thank goodness it's not a show, right? John 21 says, Jesus did so many things that if every one of them were written down, the whole world couldn't contain the books that it would take to tell you about him, how wonderful he is. Charles Wesley bemoaned his ability to worship God enough with one mouth, so he wrote, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of your name. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing it again hundred billion times. Well, verse 3 and chorus 3 build to the climax of the song, which say, God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill, you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And here then is the promised heart of the gospel On a hill Jesus himself created, creator, redeemer, preplanned before time to do the work, to bear the price, to have the penalty, to make it his own. 
And the scripture unpacks this better than I could. Let me just read you a few selections from Romans chapter 3 through 8 about the outcome of Jesus' work on our behalf. It says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now there is a righteousness that is apart from the law has been made known, a righteousness that is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That means there's no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and thus all are freely justified by his grace and the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we've come into grace. So now, therefore, there is no condemnation. I wish I could underscore that five times for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. What then can we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Who would bring any charge against those whose God has chosen? For it's God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, now reigns as Lord in heaven and intercedes for us. So who will separate us from the love that is in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, just in all these things, we're only conquerors through and with him. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Chorus 3 completes the thought purpose of this song as it says, As you speak final words on earth, a hundred billion failures disappear, where you lost your life so that I could find it here. And here then is the promise of the faith. If there has been the heart of the faith, the center of the faith, the promise of the faith is resurrected life through Jesus. He left the grave, so will we. He gave the promise of life so that he could say to us now, I bring you the gift of resurrected life, not just for heaven someday, but I came to bring you resurrected life now. Today, I came to bring you purpose and a plan. I came to bring you fellowship and comfort. I came to bring you joy and alignment and worship and comprehension and understanding of who you are. I mean to bring you a resurrected life now. I love that it says a hundred billion failures disappear. This is the the writer struggling to say all failure submitted to Christ is gone easily. The satisfaction in the Lord of life pouring out his lifeblood on our behalf provides a way that overwhelms the need that could ever exist. If you think, oh, but you don't know, I'm so broken, I'm so far from God, Jesus' answer is, my answer for your problem is like pouring an ocean into a thimble. I answer your need completely. And the good news of the gospel isn't that Jesus came to solve our guilt or solve a religious obligation or help us feel better. He came to save us from a real problem with a real answer. And that if you'll get under the hood of human beings past all the little silly things that they put forward us in, but into the real trash that is inside of our hearts, Jesus came to provide an actual answer for that. For those who are seeking him and those who are not. 
for all the really broken and lost, for all the real garbage, for all those who feel hopeless, for all those who are dying hopelessly from body-eating diseases, Jesus can come, the Holy Spirit, be a part of that journey for those who are living in tragedy and for those who are creating their own tragedy. Jesus does not need us to get our stuff in order so that he can come and be a part of our life. He likes to interject himself right into the middle of that mess to be a real answer for a real problem for you, for me, actual hope. We cry out, Jesus, where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. The song ends with these words, I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one, a child, you died to save. And so the song turns its own response right back on itself. If you did this, Jesus, so will I. If you carried the good news, so will I. If you laid down your life on behalf of others, so will I. I will have a soft heart and hard feet and take out the good news that Jesus has come to be the answer, that God is not counting people's sins against them, but reconciling them through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it becomes appropriate for me to end this message with an invitation. And there's, you know, there's not enough speaking to ready your heart. I certainly want to make sure that it wasn't an emotional invitation because it's, we can manipulate people. But I think I'd be missing the point of everything we're doing here this morning and certainly the point of this song if I did not give you an invitation to come to Jesus, to meet him, to know him, to follow him, follow him as we're following him, learn together as we are following him. So if you're here today and you don't know him, in a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation to pray with me. I'm telling you, he is the hope and the way, the promise in real life. It is the testimony of my life that you would not be making a religious decision, but you'd be making a life-filled decision. That he comes into your life for a reason, to resurrect you now and forever, to be alongside in the midst of whatever you're going through. And some of you are here today and uh, you know him, but you've run far away or you feel ashamed, or you've created a blockade. This morning, I just want to give you an invitation to know that the answer to whatever you feel is standing in the way easily overwhelms it, Uh, that God always wants to be reunited with you, that you walk out of here today soaked again in the good news that you are absolutely, abundantly, overwhelmingly, ridiculously, unnecessarily over-the-top saved so that you might know that you are safe. And so what I'm going to ask everybody to do is just bow your head as I remind you that choosing him is the way of good news. Jesus is stronger than our greatest enemies, death, hell, sin, and the grave. And this morning, if you want to make that choice, I invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Whisper it under your breath, pray it in your heart, but know that it is true. Lord Jesus, if all of this is true, I believe that it is. If I'm a created thing made to know you and love you and follow you and walk with you and grieve with you and learn with you and be delivered to heaven with you, then today I choose you. And I bring you the only thing that I got 
I know that you love me and you see through it all, but I bring you my life, whatever it is. And I lay it down at your feet and I pick up the life that you give me, a new life that is in you. And Lord, I say, I believe you are who you say you are. Jesus Christ is Lord and you have the way to save me. I pray, God, that you would cement this now into my heart and mind. I want to walk out this as true, not as an idea. And I want to begin a life of walking aligned with you. And if I've been running from you, Lord, I choose you again. I know that I was made to worship. If everything was made to worship, then so will I. Amen. Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. 